Good morning. So it is Mother's Day. And one of the things that is pretty amazing about Mother's Day is that undeniably, we all have one thing in common, at least one. We have many differences, but we all have one thing in common. Every one of us came from a woman. Every one of us came from a womb, from a human being. And uh, what's maybe different is that some of us came from mothers who were able to really take very good care of us and uh, nurture us in a way that we needed, show us the love that we needed. Um, some mothers, for whatever reason, were not able to love us so well. But no mother, no parent, no caretaker was able to love you perfectly, even if you came from a great home. No parent could ever read your mind perfectly all the time. They didn't know all the time when maybe you needed a hug. They didn't know if you were lonely sometimes. They didn't know when you were fearful. They couldn't read your mind. And I suspect that God set it up that way, that we would never be able to get the perfect love from another human being because it truly is a love that only God can give. Our imperfect parents are actually supposed to drive us to the perfect love of God. Because of imperfect caretakers, we all at one time or another question our lovability. We question if we really are good enough. And that brings us to God's love. We needed a savior to demonstrate an incredible love that not even an ocean can drain dry. And so Christ's love through the Holy Spirit, through Christ's life, through his death, and through his resurrection, God demonstrated powerfully that you and you and you and you are loved incomparably, unfathomably. And if I am willing to receive the love of Christ into my heart through the Holy Spirit, if I'm willing to receive that love in that perfect love that nobody else can give me, I can actually live in a way that I have nothing left to prove. Because most of our proving things in life and most of our doing, most of our accomplishing is really about proving that we're good enough and we're lovable. But you know how well you're embracing the love of Christ, how well you really know that love, based on situations 
where you have courage because you don't have the anything left to prove. I'm already loved. I'm already good enough. So in the last couple of weeks, we began a series on the parables. The parables are incredible because they're Christ's special stories to drive home this love in a really tricky way. Or His stories and the parables have twists and turns to them. And the good guys that we normally think are the good guys kind of end up the bad guys, and the bad guys end up the good guys. And we are forced in those stories to look at who do you resemble in those stories? And those stories drive home the values of heaven and God's love. And so two weeks ago, Drew uh, addressed uh, in a parable the unpardonable sin. And if you haven't listened to that, I encourage you to get that tape. Last week, Pete uh, spoke from the parable of the mustard seed. And he um, shared from Matthew 31 and 32 that the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed which a man took and planted in his field. Though it is the smallest of all your seeds, yet when it grows, it's the largest of garden plants and becomes a tree so that birds of the air can come and perch in its branches. And if you remember, if you were here, Pete mentioned that Christians are called to be mustard seeds, you know, the tiniest of seeds. We're supposed to be the tiniest of seeds, which means we may appear significant. We may appear powerless. We may appear defeated. But the reason I can, you, I take Christ's love and I can apply it in my life because of Christ's love, actually, I have great significance. Because of great Christ's love, I am very, very powerful. Because I don't have to prove that I'm lovable. And because of Christ's love, I'm a victor. I am not a victim. But the mustard seed, we get to choose how we will use our life in such a way that we love others well and the birds can come and perch in our tree. In other words, we use our significance and we use our power in a way that uh, frees us up to love others well. So this morning, we are going to be speaking, this message is really um, Mustard Seed Spirituality Part 2. Because I want you, my goal this morning is that you will know how powerful you are. You are very, very powerful. If you will receive Christ's love and uh, appropriate it in your life. So Galatians 5 is our passage this morning, and we're going to go deep in these verses. And it says, it is for freedom that Christ has set you free. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. But do not use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature. Rather, serve one another in love. Christ's love the purpose of his love is to set me free. 
I know I'm free if I don't have to prove it. If I don't have to prove I'm lovable. His freedom is unbelievable. But his freedom is not just for us. I first need to internalize it for myself. But if you are free, if you are truly free, another indication will be you are setting others free. So um, this message is called Quit Giving Away Your God-Given Personal Power which I think we do somewhat subconsciously, unconsciously, and unconsciously. You remember the classic movie, The Wizard of Oz, where the Tin Man, the Scarecrow, the Lion, and Dorothy are on a journey. And they're on a journey to find something. They want something. They need something to make them whole, so to speak. The problem is that they're all looking for that something outside of themselves. Outside here. They're looking for it out here. And at the end of the movie, we find out that those things that, that they needed and were longing for were inside of them all the time. They're inside of you. You just need to access them. So this morning, I have a toolkit which Jay Wright's Carpenter and House kindly loaned me. This is a toolkit. And this morning, we are going to go over nine tools you need to quit giving away your personal power. You are powerful. You are very, very powerful. Okay, let's begin with number one. The first tool to remind you of your power is the fence of separateness, okay? Now, our separateness and the significance of our separateness is, is rooted in this creation story. Right in the creation story, God begins to bring order out of the chaos. And how does he do that? He gives everything boundaries. He separates the earth from the sky. Boundaries. He separates the land from the water, and he boundaries them. He even separates day from night so we can have rhythms. Then he separates, he creates human beings, and he gives us boundaries too. He makes us, every human being, separate, and he's given us very special boundaries to keep us separate. If you go ahead and put up that slide. You and I have very specific boundaries for our identification or your identity. And that is, you have three things that boundary your particular identity and identification. They are your thoughts, your feelings, and your skin. Now up there you can see a bunch of words, but most of them all really fall under the words thoughts and feelings. Those are the two things you want to remember. Everything inside your skin belongs to you and nobody else. Your thoughts are your thoughts. Your feelings are your feelings. You own them. They belong to you, and you need to take responsibility for them. They're also necessary not just for identification, your thoughts and your feelings, but they are absolutely indispensable for connection. 
I may have difficulty living with you, but I literally, I literally cannot live without you. We need connection. So our boundaries provide distinction, not cutoffs, not isolation, and not distance. There was a, uh, an article recently in the Wall Street Journal where prisoners who are put in solitary confinement for long periods of time said they'd rather live with their enemy than be in solitary confinement. We were not meant to be solitary, but we are meant to have to enforce our boundaries. Now, it's not super rigid, right? It's not like I don't let anything in. I allow influence into my life, but I decide what gets in and what gets out. So what this might look like, for example, you see in the circles, um, that's Juan and Mary. Circles together, that represents Juan and Mary. Juan and Mary can't separate. They can't really tell the difference between, you know, his thoughts, her feelings. He says to her, how can you think that? And she'll say, you shouldn't feel that way. And they're telling each other what they should think and feel, what the other one should think and feel, rather than really like the others up there who represent respecting each other's uh, thoughts and feelings. So, people say things to you like, you should, or whenever you hear the word should, a yellow flag should go up. Someone is probably crossing your thought or your feeling boundary. But remember, nobody's an expert at you but you. You need to take responsibility for your own thoughts and feelings. Um, now, there's a, there's a third boundary I mentioned, and that's skin. Skin is an extremely important boundary, a physical boundary. Do not let anybody cross your skin boundary without your permission, whether you are married or single. Research has shown that 25% of girls feel pressure to have sex. One out of five teenagers who are in long-term relationships, uh, that relationship usually involves hitting, slapping, or pushing. Do not let anyone cross your skin boundary without your permission. You have a right. You own your body. No one else. And even if you have said yes in the past, doesn't mean you can't say now here on in. So just want to share this quote with you by Ronner Rilke, which I think he says it beautifully. Love consists in this, that the two solitudes don't tell each other what to do. The solitudes protect and border and salute each other. I salute our differences, and I respect them. Next, we have the voice of declaration. This is your voice. It may perhaps be the most important tool in your toolbox, your personal power toolbox. This is meant to remind you you have a voice, and the purpose of your voice 
is that you can declare who you are, your identity to other people. Perhaps it is God's greatest gift to us, words, for the purpose of, again, identification. It was words Adam used to identify the animals, to name them. It was a word that Adam used to make a distinction between himself and Eve. That was huge. Although she was bone of his bones and flesh of his flesh, he did not ignore the great difference between them by calling her a different name than him. She is woman. She's not, so it really acknowledges that Adam saw the difference and respected it. And our words do that. This is much easier said than done. It is very difficult to use your voice. How do you feel when someone is disagreeing with you? Or how do you feel when you disagree with someone? Are you able to use your voice and say, well, I think, I feel, I think for most of us, it is very, very difficult. We grew up with some kind of a rule that said, it's not polite to ask for what you want or need. And that is not true. Again, you're the only expert at yourself. Nobody can speak your truth but you. One of the most difficult places I have using my voice is in the beautician chair. <laughs> I am on a quest for the perfect haircut, okay? This is not it. <laughs> I say out of a thousand haircuts, I've had one. So I'm always on a quest for the beautician that truly is a magician, that just knows exactly the kind of haircut I need and I'm gonna love when I walk out the door. So anyway, I'm sitting in the chair and I'm looking in the mirror and he or she is cutting my hair and I can't find my voice as I see this haircut is going south. <laughs> and I can feel the feelings in my body. Oh no, oh no. This is my crown of glory. What am I? And so, many a time in the past, I've sat there and struggled and gotten stressed and anxious and then angry. And I'm not going to tip her, or then I'm going to tip her, or whatever. I actually had a friend who was so angry at the haircut she was getting and so upset about it. Then she struggled with her anger and her lack of forgiveness for the beautician. She tipped her double because of the haircut she hated because of her anger towards the beautician. Okay? That's not having your voice. So now I've learned I'm sitting in the chair and the haircut is going south. It's not turning out what I expected. And now I can go, excuse me? But... I noticed that this haircut is not quite turning out the way I expected. Can we pause for a moment? I know I brought you a picture of the haircut and I explained what I wanted and I take responsibility for that, but I'd like for us to just pause so we can talk about where to go from here. <laughs> Voice. 
was getting a massage, a gift certificate Pete had get, given me. I was getting a massage, and I needed a pillow for my neck. And I said to her, excuse me, ma'am, I, I need a pillow for my neck. And she said, okay, well, let me just finish your, that area, and then I'll get you a you know, pillow for your neck. So I said, okay. She was massaging, continued, and I'm in great pain. And I'm going, I'm paying for this pain. I'm laying here paying for this pain. So then I said, I raised my hand, I'm laying on the table, excuse me, can I have, I, I need that pillow now. So I'm laying there, and then I realize, you know, I need more pressure. I need more pressure. I said, excuse me, can you apply more pressure? And she was like, sure, thank you. I found my voice twice. I'm laying there. You know, the room is kind of cold. <laughs> and I'm going, I can't, I don't dare say something a third time. I don't dare complain a third time. But I'm going, I'm suffering, I'm paying, this is supposed to feel good. But I'm cold and it's unpleasant. <laughs> Jerry, find your voice, it's in there. <laughs> Excuse me, but I'm, my, my shoulder's really cold. Could you like put something over my shoulders? Sure, she says. I was the issue. She's not the issue. But the point is, it's not easy because of rules that we grew up with to use our voices. I find it difficult with my children. As a mother, I cross their boundaries all the time. I want my children to think and feel the way I do. What? Why ordering that? You know, we'll be out at a, at a dinner as a family, and I might say something like that. You don't want to order that, do you? But I've just crossed their boundaries. I think and what I think they should order is better what they think they should order. Also, as a daughter, and all of us, probably one of the most difficult places for us to use our voice is with our parents. Can you disagree with your parent? Very difficult. But they're an adult, and I'm an adult, and I can say, well, Mom, I don't really agree. Find your voice. Okay, next tool. And this actually goes, the reason I have this one, it's really part of voice, but I've, it's called the yes-no medallion. Okay? The reason I'm including this along with, as a separate one is because most of us have such a difficult time saying no. Because most of us like being liked. We think yes equals being liked. And we also hate to disappoint people. But I want you to contemplate for a moment. What would have happened if Jesus did not disappoint people? He would not have fulfilled his destiny. And it really would have impacted us. Because you and I have difficulty saying no, we may be living someone else's life and not our own. So when Jesus' family came to him and said, get out of that house, people are going to think you're crazy. He said, no. When his disciples said, quit talking like that, you're going to discourage people. He said, no. When people said, come over here, we need you, you've got to do this for us. He said, he said no. 
And so you and I have to use our yes-no medallion. Can you give me a ride? No. <laughs> Can you loan me some money? No. Let's hear your no. Can you do this favor for me? No. Can you loan me your car? Can you take care of my children? No. You're getting good at it. Now I want to see, I want to see you do it when you're alone. <laughs> Obviously, it doesn't always, to qualify what I'm talking about here, it doesn't always work with employer-employee. You've got a job to do, do your job. You can't always say no to your employer. And children cannot always say no to their parents. Children, if your parents say, empty the dishwasher, empty the dishwasher. But if they say, can I borrow your iPod, you can say, no, okay? How many times have you said yes to someone, went out of your way to say yes to someone, and the next time you ask that person to do something, they say, no, and you're like, I could have said no to them too, okay? The reason no is so important is because we want to get to yes but you can't say a healthy yes unless you can say a healthy no. Here's four things about no's you need to remember. One, yes and no are both loving words. Secondly, when I say no, it's not against you. Don't take it personally. It's for me. And by the way, People are not going to be jumping up and down and applauding you and being your cheerleader when you say no. They're probably going to be mad, but because my no may make you sad, but it doesn't make me bad. And then finally, when you say yes and feel no, or say no when you want to say yes, you erode your integrity. Next tool in our personal power, God-given personal power toolkit is the heart of feelings. This is part of your global positioning system internally. You know how some people have pacemakers put inside their, a little box inside their bodies? You imagine you have a global positioning system inside your body. Inside that global, that GPS, are feelings and thoughts. And we'll get to thoughts in a few moments. Your thinking, your wisdom. But part of your GPS, part of the way guide, God is going to guide you in your life journey so that you fulfill your destiny is through your feelings. But many of us had rules against feelings, certain feelings growing up. Many of us live in human lives because we follow inhuman rules about ourselves. We have inhuman rules like, don't be angry. Be polite all the time. Those are impossible. They're inhuman. We need our feelings to guide us. But we don't follow our feelings all the time. My feelings are important because they're, you're unique to me. You know what makes me afraid? And what makes me joyful? What makes me ashamed is very different than what makes you fearful, joyful, and ashamed. My feelings 
really reveal me to me. Now, when I have feelings, I allow myself to feel all my feelings. I try and be aware of all my feelings. But I don't follow all of my feelings. I get to feel all my feelings, and then my brain gets to process them, and then my behavior gets to decide what to do with them. So don't put your feelings in the driver's seat, but don't put them in the trunk. Your feelings are a very, very important part of you. And if you don't take personal responsibility for your feelings, you're going to project them outward, and you're going to blame somebody else, and you're going to feel like a victim. When you blame others, you are actually giving away your personal power God gave you. Blaming feels very powerful, doesn't it? Blame and attack and defend. But in reality, you are giving away your power, rather than saying, wait a minute, I can feel this, I can think this, I can declare this. And I'm not going to blame somebody else out there, but you've got to take personal responsibility for them. Next, we have our next tool is the oxygen mask of self-care. Now, you know, many of you, when you get on a plane, one of the first things they do is go over the procedures in case of an emergency. In case of an emergency, if you're with a child, always put on your oxygen mask first, then assist your child, because she who is not breathing cannot help very many people. <laughs> An Eastern proverb says it like this, she who is not happy cannot help very many people. Jesus says it like this, love your neighbor as yourself. The operative word is as. Love your neighbor not more than yourself, not less than yourself, as yourself. You need to take care of yourself in order to love others well. So what does that mean? Well, what does it mean physically? Are you doing a physical annual? Are you getting those special procedures along the way? Like, um, mammograms or tests for the prostate? Are you eating nutritiously? Are you exercising? Are you sleeping? Are you taking care of yourself physically? How about emotionally? What are you doing that gives you life? What are you doing that is fun and brings you joy? Mentally, how are you stimulating your intellectual capacities and growing and learning? What are you doing for yourself spiritually? Two things I think we have to be careful in terms of self-care is, one, respecting our limits. If you respect your limits, you won't overfunction for others, but it's really easy to overfunction for others. Don't overfunction, respect your limits, and take care of yourself. Next tool. We have the mirror of self-examination. Okay. Who do you see when you look in that mirror? Beauty or beast? This reminds me, really, the, the core of this is, 
I need to take the log out of my own eye before I take the speck out of somebody else's. This is very difficult to do. Who wants to, who wants to admit they're wrong? I want to blame you. I want to be right. It's very humbling. But Scripture teaches us, Scripture knows us. It's Scripture's that mirror that reflects back to me what I'm really like on the inside. It says, I can really deceive myself, absolutely, especially under stress. We can really deceive ourselves. But you cannot have freedom without truth. They go like this, and they will thrive together or they perish together. Where there is not truth, there is not freedom. This is about brutal honesty. The operative word is brutal. Brutal honesty about what's going on inside of me and admitting it and facing it. And so I have to reflect day in and day out over what, was, what happened in that day. How was I in those interactions? You know, I really made myself look better than I was. You know, I really didn't tell the whole truth here. I really, wow, you know, that person just gave me a suggestion, and yet I treated it like they murdered me. What does that say about me? One of the real helpful things that can help, especially in your small groups, and you're just reacting to somebody in that small group, healthy self-examination is next time when you find yourself reacting, say this. What does my reaction teach me about me? The mirror of self-examination. And that's why it's going to be so great to um, study the parables. The parables help us. They're, they're mirrors of self-examination. Stories that Jesus holds up that we have to look at our own hearts. Next, the key of hope. The key of hope. Hope is indispensable to healthy living because hopelessness feels like powerlessness. And sometimes you don't even know how important hope is until you don't have it. Hope is extremely important. But I want to touch upon two things. One is that there's hope. We lose, we lose hope about things that we can actually change. We don't think we have power over them, but we do. So, for example, you're suffering a setback, a disappointment, a hurt, a betrayal, and you just keep living that thing. It's hard. You just keep living it over and over again, just a negative rumination. You know, I'm never going to let that happen to me again. Why did I let that happen to me again? I'll never do that again. And we put all of our energy into... What we're not going to let happen and what we don't want. I never want that to happen again. Here's my question to you. What would happen if you took all that energy that you negatively keep processing over and over again about what you don't want and you asked yourself this question? What do I want? The past does not have to be the future. But most of us only stop at what we don't want. We don't put our energy into, well, what do I want? 
and begin putting a f- your energy into future goals and steps and visions and dreams and hopes about what you do want. Try it. Secondly, though, there are things that we do lose hope over that we, we don't have um, control over in our lives, whether it be um, illnesses and other losses. But I just want to read this passage from Hebrews to you. Because the people in Hebrews were just like us. Living by faith, some of them died without having received the things that they were promised. And it says this about them. But they were able to admit that they were aliens and strangers on earth. People who say such things show that they're looking for a country of their own. If they had been thinking of the country they had left, earth, they would have had opportunity to return. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. You and I always have the hope, even beyond death, of heaven. Regardless of what difficulty we are going through, we don't fear the first death. We fear the second one, as Revelation says. Next, we have... This is not a wizard's hat. Where is it? Okay. This is a wisdom hat. When you became a Christian, you did not give away your brain. One of God's greatest gifts to us as human beings is our brain. It's the other thing in your GP, your internal GPS. Feelings guide me, but God has given us a lot of wisdom in our ability to think. We have a whole book, a whole book in the Bible, really dedicated to thinking. Proverbs says, the wisdom of the prudent is to give thought to their ways. You and I were meant to think critically Clearly, ask hard questions. Data matters. Love means I will collect the data. Love means I can ask the hard questions. So, for example, you're going for a new job. Well, you're allowed to think critically and clearly. Just don't be so thankful you got a job. Right? How many times have you said yes to something and then later on regretted it and said, man, I wish I had known that. Boy, I wish I had known before I did this. You buy a car, but you never took it to the mechanic first to get it checked out. And it ends up being a lemon. There's many things that we do that we did not think about and ask all the right questions. You have a right to ask questions. So let's say you're going for the job. Well, what's the job description? What's in the fine print? How long is this commute going to take? Oh, by the way, how much am I going to make? Sometimes we're so shy we don't, or, or awkward, we're afraid to even ask how much we're going to make. But really, really, you want to think things through before you make big decisions. Proverbs says it like this. Every prudent man acts out of knowledge. And all your decisions gather data. Data matters. 
Next. And if you're, by the way, if you're not sure of even what the questions are when you have to make a decision, ask. There's an abundance of wisdom in many counselors. A simple man believes anything. You have a right and a responsibility, not just a right, you have a responsibility to clarify your puzzles, to ask hard questions, to comment, okay? Close your eyes for a moment. Everybody close your eyes. Put it. Now I'm going to read a verse. I want you to just picture it. Just picture it. As a dog returns to its vomit, you have the picture? As a dog returns to its vomit, so a fool repeats his folly. Okay, in other words, we don't trust too easily. Okay, especially when it comes to relationships. I don't start trusting someone and relying on them and committing myself to them when I only know them this much. If someone tells me, I'll be there at 8 o'clock, and they show up at 8.30, and the next time they say, I'll be there at 8 o'clock, and again they show up at 8.30, and again, I can cease to believe it. I, I'm not going to trust that when they say they're going to show up, they're not going to show up. Or in areas of money. I mean, lots of areas in our life. We need to practice trust. It's trust is not automatically given to people. It is earned. It is incremental. And especially in the area of relationships. Okay? Don't trust, rely, or commit unless you've gotten to know a person very well in all sorts of areas. Finally, we have our final tool is the badge of courage. And the reason I left this for last is because every one of these other tools takes courage to use. These tools, to use these tools is no small thing. They are everyday acts of heroism. But it is for freedom. It is for freedom. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. It is for freedom that Christ uh, died and rose and sent his Holy Spirit that that love could come into our hearts, that we could have the courage and the freedom to walk out our lives powerfully on this earth. And so we need the badge of courage. This is not going to make your life pain-free. Inherent in being a human being on this earth means pain. There is going to be pain on earth. Psalm 90 talks about the fact you may live 70 or 80 years, but those years are going to have troubles and sorrow. But what kind of pain are you going to have? Are you going to have pain, bad pain, that keeps you from living your life, your unique destiny? Are you going to have good pain that leads you to your destiny? You need courage to walk out each one of these tools. But these tools are for freedom. And that is the purpose Christ set you free. I'm going to invite Veronica to come forward. Uh, Veronica has been on her own very unique journey of um, accessing her 
God-given personal power tools. She's going to share for a moment. Am I on? I want to, I want to give you an invitation. And the invitation, though, me is, is concerns the tools. And first I want to say, though, one is I want you to pick one tool. One. There's probably several you could pick, but one tool that you feel God is speaking to you about. But I also want you to remember you're going to want people to respect your use of those tools, but God is also calling us to respect when others use the tools with us. Uh, secondly, as you look at these tools, I want you to remember this is not a to-do list. This is not about a to-do list. The invitation is, will you receive God's love? And then practice that love in these situations. That's a big difference. If you really will receive, if you will receive God's love, then you have nothing to prove. And you can be powerful in each of those situations. So number one, do you need the tool of the fence of separation, of separateness, where do you allow your boundaries to be crossed? Or do you need the voice of declaration? When do you have difficulty speaking up? The yes-no medallion. Who can't you say no to? Your mother? Your father? Your in-laws? Your siblings? Your friends? Your co-workers? Heart of feelings. Which feelings do you have rules against? The oxygen mask of self-care. If you need this tool, where are you failing in self-care? The tool of mirror of self-examination. Where are you skimming on truth? No truth? Not all the truth, then not all the freedom. Key of hope. Where do you lack hope? How can you begin to express not just what you don't want, but what you do want? The hat of wisdom. Where are you not gathering enough data? And then finally, the badge of courage. Which one of these do you need the most courage for. So I'm going to give you about 30 seconds to think about that and invite the worship team to come forward. So if you look at this list behind you again, uh, the, uh, the nine tools, interesting, isn't it? This is a second part of that mustard seed spirituality. You know, I know few people I've ever met that can take a verse uh, and apply it in the level of Jerry uh, all my life. And, and that verse, stand firm then, is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then, don't let yourself be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. We've unpacked this morning what it means to live free in a very detailed way. And if the gospel and the power of Jesus and, the, and, his, and his life and his death and his resurrection and the sending of the Holy Spirit doesn't set us free on this level, friends, we are not yet free. So Paul's words is to take those chains off. Christ came to cut them off you. 
in such a way that it actually moves into your workplace, into your family, into your parenting, into with your neighbors. It's that deep. It's that broad. It's that powerful. So as we close here, uh, the communion table is over to your right. You're welcome to come and partake, eat and drink of Christ, that he is our life. And uh, it is through him, friends, that we can grasp and live a freedom and be a real gift to our culture and really love and not use this to serve ourselves, but rather to serve other people. And we've got some prayer teams, and please come on forward. And as we close, I want to invite you to come forward. You may want to receive Christ for the first time. You come and receive him because Jesus came and died to set you free, and you come. Uh, but uh, you may be here, and you're saying, oh, my goodness, uh, I need a miracle. And we want to say to you, God is in the miracle business. And uh, we will pray for you up here and anoint you with oil that God's power might get released in your life by the Holy Spirit. So you come, and they'll stay here as long as we need to stay here to pray for you. All right, so prayer teams, wherever you are, come. And Jerry's going to pray and speak a blessing over us that we might actually embrace this and, and, and live it. So, yeah. All right, so I'm going to invite you just to maybe um, open up your hands up towards heaven. And uh, as she prays and just releases a blessing over us. And again, uh, these prayer teams will be here for as long as we need to be here to uh, pray for you. This blessing is the Lord's blessing. The Lord blesses you. And the, the Lord says, I have made a vow to you. I vow to love you for better or for worse, whether you're rich or whether you're poor, in good times and in difficult times. I follow you into every place you go. So this week, wherever you find yourself, I'm there, I'm listening, and my faithfulness and my love surround you. Go in peace and serve the world. Amen.